Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. I would say these days it's becoming more common to have some sort of continuous integration tooling, CI for short, uh, running as part of your project. Now, maybe that's not you. Um, I certainly have had projects in the past where I, I didn't set that up, but uh, for, for you and I and the way we work now, we find it valuable. And I thought today we could talk a little bit about why that is and um, maybe give, give people some tips on how to get started and make it not seem like such a big, scary thing. So what, when you say CI or continuous integration, what does that actually mean? I would, before we get into the specifics of like actual products or tools, I would say at a high level, I would describe it as some sort of system that integrates with your version control, where when you push new code, whether that's to a, a branch or, or a feature request or anything like that, some automated stuff happens, right? It checks the code out. It maybe runs some tools across it. Maybe it runs some unit tests. Um, maybe it produces some reports. It can get really fancy and maybe it can uh, deploy a test environment. So it, it's, but it, it, the, at the high level, it is something that happens automatically when you push new code up to your source code repository. So it's automated tooling after you've pushed up the code, but it's not necessarily deploying your, your software. That's, that's continuous deployment. Yeah, I, I would draw a line there. And some of, the, some of these terms and phrases, people have different strict definitions. But yeah, I, I would mm -hmm. draw a line. Like the, the deployment, the delivery phase is something different from what, what we're going to talk about today. Okay, so, so what is the value in that though? And, and I'll tell you the reason why I'm asking that is because um, for, for many years, I found myself knowing it was a good thing, but I didn't fully mm -hmm. understand the value proposition. And yeah. I was always just so busy. And I was like, you know, I got to get code out the door. Um, and, you know, it took a while first to even win my herd over to unit testing. Now I 100% do unit testing. But like, it was like another thing I had to then learn and, and put in there. And I think it's important to kind of talk about what is the value proposition? Why is this important? so that uh, we can know to start implementing it, especially since whenever you introduce new tooling or new concepts, it always kind of slows down things to begin with until you get comfortable and good at it. Yeah, there's a little bit of learning curve. There's no, no denying that. I'll talk about one, like the first thing that came to mind is maybe not the thing I would have said when I first implemented one of these systems. But if, if, if you have it set up where somebody else is reviewing your code, one of the things I really like about CI is I get a whole bunch of like green checks and assurance that this code doesn't like break everything before I even start looking at the individual code changes that they made. So a lot of the things that the CI system will do are, are things that you can do locally as a developer. In fact, I would say there are things you should do locally, like running unit tests or running a style checker uh, or a linter or things like that. But, so those um, are those are the green check marks you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the, those are just just kind of like a smoke test that there's not something horribly wrong with this code that mm. would cause it to just break out of the box. So it doesn't mean I, I don't have to review the code. Obviously, that's still important, but it's just a nice sanity check. In the past, before I had a CI system, if I was being diligent, 
I would actually check that branch out and, and maybe run some of those things on my machine. So just not having to do that, it saves mm-hmm. me some time. And uh, that's, that's one benefit that I, I find from having that in place. The other side of it, and maybe the one that most people <laughs> will identify with first, is that me as the developer. Again, I, I should be doing a lot of these things locally, but you know what? <laughs> Sometimes, again, depending on the size and age of the project, maybe your test suite to run the entire thing is kind of slow. Or maybe uh, locally I run tests against one's particular environment, but for some reason we have to support multiple environments, you know, multiple versions of PHP or something like mm-hmm. that. Having CI set up to do some of that grunt work automatically in the background when I just push my code, it's a time saver too. And it's a safety net for me as the developer, just like it is sort of for the the person doing the code review. So when I started getting involved with the idea of doing CI too, I was a little uh, overwhelming because there's a couple, there's so many different choices and so many different yeah. things. Yeah. And so you kind of talked about, first of all, like some are the, what are some of the things like you could do style testing, you could do mm-hmm. unit testing, you could do all these different integration sort of tests. You could um, run tests with uh, Postman. You can do all these different things against your API. Um, and, and then when you search for like a CI tool, um, you know, you end up with like Travis CI or Circle CI, or sure. then all, all of the main, um, you know, repos, like GitLab has actions or of some sort. Um, Bitbucket has pipelines. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they might be called pipelines in GitLab too. And then GitHub has actions. You know, how what is the sort like how would you kind of whittle it all down and get started? Well, I I prefer to have fewer tools than more tools. So yeah, I, I would say, especially when starting out, I would reach for whatever I already have with my my source control provider. You know, so if you're on GitHub, I would first start playing around with GitHub actions before I bring in a third party. Now, I know some people will feel differently. Like there's some CI tools that are even optimized for a Laravel application, third-party tools. So there, there's nothing wrong with going down that approach. But mm-hmm. if it's if you know if putting in your credit card or signing up for a new trial, if that's just enough friction to keep you from doing it, well then just just use what's in your repo already. Yeah, and I think um, then you also don't have to use all of the tools you have locally. You right. can start to implement this one by one. Mm-hmm. I can give a good example of something actually. Uh, we were working on a, a older product and it had uh, a number of um, really old PHP files. It was even before Laravel. Uh, and we're trying to, you know, bring this up to speed and get this converted over some things. And um, I made a mistake. I um, put, somehow put a typo in some PHP that was in a PHP file with a ton of PHP and then mixed HTML and all this different <laughs> stuff. And, and so my editor already was highlighting everything as every, yeah. all being wrong. So I, I pretty much missed that. I like missed the semicolon. And when we deployed it, it you know, it was obviously a, a broken issue. So what I ended up doing is thinking, oh, I, I should, it, you know, I normally don't have a problem in like a Laravel app, but for something like this, I'm going to need to lint this with like PHP. And so I also found a package that could do multiple lint, uh, linting at the same time, you know, uh, multiple um, processes of it. And so the first thing we implemented in this project for CI was just something that would lint all the PHP files. And it didn't, I mean, it didn't take anything. And it was something that actually would have saved us on this issue because yeah. I would have missed it. I don't, I just, it was something I should have tested by hand, but I didn't. I've had, you know, people say you should test everything and you should, but sometimes you don't. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, having this in place uh, just quickly in in, in uh, GitHub 
um, was uh, was a lifesaver then moving forward. Yeah. Well, and and to be fair, I probably looked at that uh, code <laughs> and didn't notice that. I can't remember if it was a, it, it was a missing semicolon, right? And so, yeah, yeah. Like people aren't perfect, and uh, especially when you're in an older project that's got a lot of legacy baggage that uh, mm-hmm. it's just really hard to miss those things that might seem kind of obvious in a, in a newer, fresher application. But yeah, that, that was a great one. And um, how long did it take you to set that up? Would you say? I would say that was, that was 15 minutes to 30 minutes somewhere in there, yeah. because I, I just had to remember how to make a GitHub action, <laughs> um, you know, which is something that I, you know, I, I know pretty well, but you know, you have to always bring that up into your memory again. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, how to run this thing against all, all the files. So it was, you know, run it locally, figure out how to do that in a GitHub action, and then you're good to go. And um, just let, let's try to maybe get a little more concrete. So let's just talk about GitHub actions. I, I know mm-hmm. there's other tools that that work very similar. Um, so the concepts we're talking about here will likely apply if you're using a different version control system. But uh, GitHub actions, first of all, the thing to know if you've never set one of these up is, is it's just a file or files in your repo, like they go in a special folder mm-hmm. and uh, they're formatted a certain way. And that that's how GitHub knows this is your action, but it's not, it's not some separate thing. And um, the reason I mentioned that is because to me, another benefit as we talk about this, that, that I think of is it's really some living documentation of how your project works to a certain extent. You know, how, how do I run the unit test? How do I do these things? Like these are things you put in a readme. But sometimes there's there's little quirks or or things mm-hmm. that might get missed. But if they're in that action file, then that's that's another piece of living documentation you can look at too. Right. So let's say you're you're kind of bought into this now. How do you get started with GitHub Actions? Because also I know they've changed a lot over the years too. Sure. Yeah. It's it's um, I don't know if they versioned them, but yeah, it's gone through some changes mm-hmm. in its life. Uh, honestly, I start with the docs. I mean, that sounds like the boring answer, <laughs> but for you and I, like it's, it's a sincere answer. Like that is where to start. And if, if you're in, if you're in the GitHub interface in, in your browser and you, there's like a button to add an action and it even has some templates to get you started. So like you could even just start there, but then take some time. I, I, I would bet to read through the high level intro docs is going to take you maybe 30 minutes, but it'll explain the concepts because there, there are some different concepts of, of tasks and and how you know there's input and output from things and how that all flows together. So yeah, for sure, start with the docs. That's that's always a, a good piece of advice. And I, I would say if you know don't if you're looking at the templates too, keep in mind that you're you're looking for a template for either Laravel or PHP. Or composer, so like those sort of three are mm-hmm. a lot of like interchangeable. Where like a PHP or composer based template might get you ninety five percent of the way there, and then you just have to make a few tweaks for your Laravel project. Yeah, yeah, and that that actually brings up a good point too. Is um, there's like this ecosystem of tasks, like for GitHub Actions, where you can mm-hmm. import a task or, or refer to a task that somebody else wrote that has a lot of functionality in it. And you just configure it with, you know, passing a few parameters to it. Those are, you can look at them. You probably should. And you should be a little wary because they're running inside the context of your repo. But there, there's a balance. You know, you don't want to reinvent the wheel, but you don't want to mm-hmm. just blindly start pulling in things. It's sort of like packages in your Laravel app. 
they serve a purpose. They're useful. You definitely use them, but you wouldn't just grab a hundred random ones and try them out in your project and, and ship it to production that way. Right. Another resource that I want to um, mention that I, I personally found useful is a book called Building, yeah, Building GitHub Actions. And um, it's not, I wouldn't really describe it as a primer to GitHub Actions as a whole. Like you, you're going to have to come into it with a little bit of knowledge. Mm-hmm. But when you get to that, that step two or three, where you want to start writing your own custom actions, or you find that your setup is getting a little lengthy, or maybe you have multiple projects and you want to share some logic between them. Like this book is really nice. And so uh, I would point people to that. It's reasonably priced. In fact, as we were kind of thinking about this episode, I reached out to the author of the book just, just to see, you know, like, Hey, uh, we're thinking about mentioning this on our next podcast. Um, you got any good deals or anything like that? So uh, he did send me a discount code. So we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. You know, again, we're, we're, uh, you look at it yourself and judge. I found it personally useful. I think you might, um, but the link will be there and that, that coupon code should be good for a while. So if I had to leave anyone with a kind of a final thought here, I'd say, don't be afraid of taking the first step into, you know, continuous integration. I, I know I was, um, and I just need someone to push me and say, it's going to be okay. It's worth a little bit of your investment. You know, you can, you can look at this. It doesn't have to take your whole entire next week of programming. Just, you know, find out how to do one thing. Look at it. Look at a package, an open source package that maybe uses them too. And, and, and yank one of those into your project, you know, and, and just even something like that to understand what's happening uh, and just, uh, you know, baby steps and, and get started. I haven't gotten like big into the, the whole internet of things movement, if you want to call it that, where like everything connects to Wi-Fi mm-hmm. and can be controlled remotely. So yeah, like, I, you're old school. I get it. Yeah, exactly. You, you probably turn on, you turn on and off your lights with a switch, like an animal. I get it. Yeah, like it's the 1920s. So like a while back, we had to replace our garage door opener and that, that came Wi-Fi enabled and it was kind of cool. Like I, I could look at my phone and know if the garage door is open, like if we left the house and I was wondering, but I used that like three times and like never again. Uh, recently we got a washer and dryer that also had like Wi-Fi features. I didn't even bother setting those up because I just, I just knew I wouldn't care, but there was something else about the dryer that I want to share with you, Aaron, and I'm just going to play this for you. And I, I just want to get your reaction on how necessary you think this feature of my dryer is. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, I, I think you were expecting me to laugh more, uh, but I already have a rice maker that plays like happy birthday when it stops. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, apparently that was a that's a this must just be coming to the US now, but like uh Japan, a lot of the, the um appliances would make play songs. So now I'm wondering if like that song that my dryer plays is is like an actual song that existed before they put it in the dryer. Because like if your rice maker plays happy birthday, <laughs> like, I have to I have to go out and do is there like a reverse audio search on Google like there is for images? Yeah, just try playing, you, you know, put Shazam on your phone. <laughs> How could you not find this song? Yeah, I just like at first it made it was kind of funny 
And now I'm like, I probably should go figure out how to turn that off. Cause I just like, I don't know if I'm too old or not fun loving enough, but I, that I, the song just isn't doing it for me anymore. One other kind of fun fact about that song is I would like sing it around the house on purpose just to be funny, I guess. I don't know if that's dad humor, but after like the 10th time, my wife got upset, not because I was singing the song, but because I was singing it like slightly incorrectly. <laughs> She's <laughs> like, I can't take it anymore. I was, I was like leaving notes out or something. So I worked with a designer one time where we both, we were both um, very musical. I mean, we were, we both are, but um, we, we worked in this area and they kind of sequestered us off of the corner. So there's like a bunch of marketing people and us two like nerds in the corner and they would allow us to play our music on speaker. So we'd play music and then we would both sing along, but then we started doing harmony. Like the next week, oh, we were, one of us was singing harmony. And then we decided that, you know, just to drive people nuts, we would just sing along, but slightly off key to the entire song. It's <laughs> horrible. And so it was like one time it was, it was off harmony. The other time it would be like, happy birthday to you <laughs> like and you could just see the people in the cubicles like like what's wrong with these guys <laughs> yeah they weren't wrong <laughs> one of the things near and dear to our heart is creating validation rules in laravel check out a worksheet we put together for building validation rules at masteringlaravel.io laravel.io